0: Hey guys, it's Harrison here. If you're heading to Black Hat or DEF CON, listen up. Uh, we have a party happening on Wednesday night of Black Hat at the Mandalay Bay. You won't want to miss it. Uh, it's right in the middle of the hotel at iCandy Sound Lounge on August 7th from 7 to 10 p.m. Uh, make sure to get on the list before beforehand so you can avoid the lines. Um, and then we'll drop a link in the show notes for that. Let's go ahead and get kicked off.
1: Hi, and welcome to Shadow Talk's weekly intelligence summary track, where our team of analysts dive into the top threat intelligence stories each week. To read their full findings and analysis, make sure to visit resources.digitalshadows.com. Now here's your host, Harrison Van Riper.
0: What's up, everybody? It's Harrison here, back again. Um, we're going to try a little bit of a different format this week. Uh, we're just going to kind of have like a conversation. I like I like conversational podcasts. So joining me this week for this week's episode of Shadow Talk is Alex Giriku and Travis Randall in the Dallas office. How are you both?
1: I'm doing good, man. I'm just uh, glad to be here.
0: You're killing the game. Yeah. How- Alex, you can answer. Alex, You're allowed you okay? to talk now.
2: I'm doing very well, Harrison. Thanks for having me. I've again. been
0: trying to make Alex not talk as much in the last five minutes, but
2: it's difficult for him. All this new equipment is just so yeah. fun yeah, so, to play so, around with.
0: So we got a whole lot of new equipment, so hopefully uh, our voices sound at least a little bit better. Um, and, yeah, so let's let's just get kicked off this week. So over the last – I guess it's only been within the last week. Is that right for, the, uh, for again, this first it, story?
2: it popped up a couple of days ago.
0: So what we're going to discuss first is FaceApp. So FaceApp is an application that allows a user to basically alter their photo – Uh, that's been uploaded to the service. Uh, you can age yourself or de-age yourself or add facial hair, make yourself into a bunch of fun, different things that you can do with your face. Basically like Snapchat filters or something like that. I saw my future and it was really grim. (laughs) Actually, Travis's was really, really weird. Um, so the app kind of skyrocketed to mainstream uh, again. Rec- again, recently, again. Uh, after there was one of those social media challenges. So it's like it was like hashtag age yourself or something like that.
1: Yeah, like uh, I think like Brennan Chopp, the fighter, did it, and a few other people
0: did. Yeah, the celebrities and yeah. stuff like that. So it got kind of into people's minds, and people started looking into it, and then it kind of raised this whole concern, like Alex keeps saying again, of. Um, of privacy and and you know l- uploading your photos to a service that you don't necessarily know too much about, um, we say again, so Alex, why don't you explain the again
2: part of it? so I think at at least one other time, I think it was in 2017, 2017 when it first yeah. popped up yeah, yeah. And, and and I mean it, it seems like people had the same exact concerns back then, so people are concerned about you know where exactly are you sending these images of? what permissions does this application have? Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, what rights are you signing over to when you're using? this service. What mm-hmm. can they do with your picture? Where does it go? Et cetera. Yeah.
0: So, so th- yeah, that was back in 2017. So, I mean, it's gotten a lot of people talking about it again. Uh, it's basically popped up again.
1: Well, and it, the reason, the reason it, it popped up is because of the function where for it to look at any of your photos, it makes you upload your entire camera roll. So that was where people started to get a little like, you know, like sketched out. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And so the thing, so we'll, we'll touch on that actually specifically, but uh, I think, there's just been so much discussion around it and there's been security researchers that have done analysis on the app they've they've, you know looked at the network logs they've tested what kind of data is actually being sent out from different devices they've done their forensics they've done all that um uh, and then questions of you know the company that's actually behind the app so they're headquartered in russia um and that it seems like these days it's like whenever you attach russia to something then it's immediately like some big story
2: people automatically jump to the whole you know Russia is bad narrative yeah. which isn't you know
0: yeah I, I mean I, we as intel analysts and and you know analysts in general i think that's a bad thing to jump to you can't mm-hmm. you can't assume that right off the bat that's always my that's always my first yeah. my first intro to intel analysis is never assume yeah challenge um, assumptions yeah exactly so um let's start off with just like do you think that some of these privacy concerns are valid um, I'll, I mean, I'll start. So, like personally, I mean, I think I think they are valid. I think that the I think when you're uploading something to a service, regardless of it's a photo or your data or whatever it is, um, you need to know what you're doing. You need to be cognizant of what it is that you're actually doing without just kind of spewing your data out there. Now, that being said, I don't, I don't necessarily see anything from the some stuff that I've looked at that. Face app is doing anything drastically different than a lot of
1: other applications out there. Right, I remember my like photo photo editor app, uh, like you know, it asked for the same permissions, and yeah. that was a totally different. You know, it's no, not even uh, connecting to a server directly. Yeah.
0: yeah, and so and so the the big thing which you brought up before was the whole camera roll thing, and they've actually came out and said that's not actually true. So you don't, it doesn't actually upload your entire camera roll to their cloud. Right. It, it does have access within the application, right. but in order for the actual AI stuff to go on to, to age you, de-age you, whatever, um, it uploads it to the servers in the U.S.
1: Yeah, security researchers uh, kind of opened up the app and took a look at what was going on, and uh, the only thing that was actually getting sent off were the uh, specific pictures people uh, you know, ha- apply that aging, de-aging effect to.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, so with these facts that are out there, I think there has been a lot of poor reporting on it, or at least just un- uninformed reporting. So do we think that it's a privacy concern? Do we think that it's a big deal? Why are people freaking out about it?
2: I think the privacy concerns are certainly valid, right? But mm-hmm. I, I also think that there's kind of two sides to this so you have like the the technical privacy concerns as to like what is this company doing with your data where the where's your data going the other one is just essentially increasing your social media footprint i remember a couple of months ago there was the same kind of along a similar vein there was that 10-year challenge Mm. if you remember people were posting pictures of themselves now people were posting pictures of themselves compared to 10 years ago
1: yeah train the ai
2: exactly and that that brought up kind of similar um similar concerns about what exactly you're doing to increase your social media footprint and giving potentially more data that could be used in things like social engineering campaigns and just just things like that as well and i think there's similar concerns with this in addition to the whole you know what is this company doing with my data
1: right and like honestly even if this one isn't nefarious although i you know i have no idea what you know happened to any of the pictures i uploaded on face app you know who knows what what those are going to where those are going or what's going to happen to them. But uh, even if this isn't necessarily nefarious, I actually really like how much uh, the concern over this app has kind of entered the mainstream. Um, I think, and this is kind of a trend in general, is that you're starting to see lay people starting to understand and think about like, oh, is, you know, should I be putting this out here? Where does my data go? Um, And so I think that aspect of this whole uh, discussion is actually pretty cool because I think, uh, that's a good thing. That's a good direction for people to move in.
0: So it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk about this today is because this morning I woke up to a text message from my sister who you know is not she she she's technical she's not I would not call her tech savvy by okay. any means but um, <clears throat> basically she sent me a screenshot of her Instagram feed of somebody who had posted you know something about FaceApp. And so it basically says that face app, face aging thing, it, one, requires your Facebook login, two, receives your name, profile picture, photos, email address uh, via Facebook, three, the company's privacy policy ambiguously states how it can share data with its affiliates, and four, the company is based in St. Petersburg, Russia. So (laughs) just from the short discussion that we've had, a lot of that is not necessarily true. Um, So again, that just goes to the point of like there's a lot of misinformation about what's actually Going on with this specifically, and I'm not saying that like FaceApp is that big of a deal. It's sure. ju- it's just the application to make your face look different,
1: right? Right. Um, well, it's funny that you know people are this concerned <laughs> about FaceApp, but are but like concerned about other... Facebook, you yeah. know, You yeah. know, selling your data and that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I mean, I think that it, it's actually a little. It's not strange, but it's it's interesting to see. So, like FaceApp came out, their their CEO came out, and they released a statement and everything and you know they debunk a lot of the stuff that has been reported mm-hmm. and or at least they claim that you know i don't i don't know for certain but um,
2: but they did they did come out and say did it which i think is important right they're yeah. being at least trying, to, trying be to be transparent right yeah
0: yeah and i think that's refreshing mm-hmm. in this day we're <laughs> not really used to that yeah <laughs> don't get a whole lot of uh, discussion back and forth between between those companies but um but yeah so so where do we think um where do we think it could go from here
2: i think that what stood out to me most from looking at uh, the company's statement uh, addressing some of these concerns was that they said that they actually treat these requests to remove people's information and pictures pretty seriously, mm-hmm. right? They said that anyone can send us a request to remove their all, all of their data. Mm-hmm. They said that they're a bit overwhelmed right now and that it's not necessarily <laughs> built in to the Understandable. app. Understandable. Right? <laughs> but... That still is a possibility that they said they're working towards making even more user friendly.
0: Yeah, they did say that. Yeah, they said that they were looking at improving their UI to handle those privacy requests, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, you know it's interesting because again, we bring up Facebook. You know, the the terms and conditions of Facebook are so, are somewhat similar to the to the way that FaceApp phrases theirs as well. Uh, to to the point that um, you know they they kind of have. They don't own your photo. Same with FaceApp, they sure. don't own your photo. But what they can do is they can do things with it, right? They can they can reuse it. They can do whatever. And basically, what that means is that they, in, in somebody like Facebook's case, that's the only way that they can actually operate that service. Because if you have a friend in the UK or a friend in you know somewhere in Europe, um, you basically have to have a worldwide. License agreement right. to to share that photo, right? So when you upload a photo to Facebook, you say yes, you're allowed to show this to somebody in Europe, mm-hmm. um, and that makes sense, right? That makes sense when you when you look at it from that perspective. But when you just look at it from the terms and conditions perspective, you don't really understand that. Yeah. And I think that that's where some of it gets lost, and that's where probably some of the um, some of the discussion around FaceApp specifically is like, let's just make this a little more clear as to like what's actually going on. And I think sure. that's where some people were kind of confused
2: which is why i think it was a great step that they came forward and they kind of made these uh they, they put these points out just they put them on the table they put them in ways that even a regular old lay person can understand it they yeah. didn't make it super technical they didn't make it super shady mm-hmm. and I, I i commend them for that
0: yeah yeah we'll we'll link to that in the in the show yeah. notes as well because i don't, I don't want to just read it off but <laughs>
1: but yeah uh chuck Schumer uh he contacted the fbi about face app
0: yeah. So yeah, you, you found that one. What what was that about?
1: It's there's there wasn't really a lot on it. It was mm-hmm. just uh, allegedly Chuck Schumer contacted um, uh, Christopher Ray from the FBI mm-hmm. and wrote a letter about, uh, hey, can you guys you look know look the face 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 apps. at the FaceApp because I've heard a lot of buzz about it. Yeah, so, it's just it's it shows how like what a big splash it's made though. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. And I, again, it's just like if this company wasn't based in Russia. Yeah would anybody even notice what's going on i mean it would just be another social media thing and so i don't know if you know alex you have different kind of you have very geopolitical opinions about um you know you're very knowledgeable in that area what do you think about that
2: It's, it's almost like it's become this negative buzzword right like you said people mention russia people mention china people mention iran and immediately people make assumptions about kind of the intentions of these kinds of products, Mm -hmm. when in reality, how much of a difference actually is there to it actually being developed in the U.S. or within the EU, right?
0: I mean, we're a global economy at this point. I mean, it's hard hard to be like, well, every single company in Russia must be, you know, part of the Right? Yeah, they're all all
1: targeting American citizens. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's a little, that's just too much. There's no way, (laughs) like...
1: I
2: mean... uh, it's true that some of that stuff does happen, mm-hmm. and there are some concerns about certain companies, certain organizations, but I think to to have that as a blanket opinion exactly, about, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not really great. It's
0: not great, yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, so moving on, let's get to some more stories this week. Uh, there was an update, uh, well, I guess sort of an update on the Blue Keep vulnerability uh so Blue Keep, for those that don't know, is the vulnerability CVE twenty nineteen oh seven oh eight uh in the remote desktop protocol service within Windows seven, Windows Server two thousand three and two thousand eight, and Windows XP. Um so <laughs> so just off the bat, I, I know that people some people don't really like the fact that we name uh vulnerabilities. Like this. Oh, yeah. Um, I personally think it's great because who wants to just keep on reading off C V E twenty nineteen oh seven oh eight Everything That's so hard time? to remember. Right? Not okay, anyways, that's just a, that's a side tangent. But um
1: old old man yells at cloud.
0: Exactly. Um <laughs> uh, there was some research that basically came out this week that hundreds of thousands of systems remain vulnerable uh, to Blue Keep, despite notifications and alerts from Microsoft as well as the National Security Agency, otherwise known as the NSA. Um, Which was a pretty big deal. Uh, the fact that the NSA came out and was like, hey, guys. You'd uh, think
2: that l- that was. Well, you know.
0: I mean, the fact that they said it was a big deal. Yeah. You would think that it would have more of an impact.
2: Yeah. But in reality, it.
0: Which is what this research has basically said. Mm-hmm. In reality, it doesn't look like it had that much effect. So, for those that might not know, why is it hard to patch things? So, basically, there's a patch that's released for this, right? There is a mitigation a way to solve this issue. But this research is showing that it has not been implemented by a, a large number of vulnerable systems.
2: This doesn't exclusively affect just Windows Server, right? Just regular no, like no. Windows 7, Windows XP. Windows right? 7,
0: XP, Server 2003 and 2008. 2008.
2: Well, I think if we consider that probably a lot of these vulnerable systems are going to be comprised of servers, It there's a, there's a cost with upgrading your servers, right? You can't just expect to... Set aside the time um, and accept the the business loss that you're going to that you're going to receive by having these servers the offline downtime. right the downtime
1: mm-hmm. right some of these people are kind of doing a cost benefit analysis of all right well i can I can spend you know x amount of money uh, that I'm guaranteed to spend on m- upgrading and migrating these servers so I can implement a patch for this vulnerability that I may or may not ever get you know targeted for, even if the cost of actually getting hit with a you know Use somebody exploiting this CVE would be catastrophic. You know that's that can be really hard to communicate to people,
0: and that's what it seems like. You know, I, you know, I don't, I haven't seen a POC. There is no public POC right now. Yeah, uh, proof of concept. Um, so the people there have been some developed kind of behind closed doors, mm-hmm. but it it seems like it's a pretty big deal, and that's why they haven't
1: released that POC code. I was wondering about that if you were gonna have opinions on why, you know. I, I mean, I think it's interesting.
0: It's interesting that it, they haven't released anything, but I can, uh, it, it speaks volumes to the fact that they haven't. That's, there's so many security researchers out there. There's so many people who know what this vulnerability is. And, I mean, large companies, large security companies have come out and openly said that, yes, we developed a POC for it, and we didn't release it because it's a big deal. Um, RDP has its own issues already add in a critical vulnerability to that. The fact that people don't lock down their RDP stuff already, um, it just throws gas onto the fire.
1: Well, that's also kind of what's crazy too, is that we haven't seen a, uh, exploit yet for it. Uh, and maybe that kind of speaks to how zero days are like, why, why develop something for, you know, a zero day exploit when there's so many other ways you can go and achieve what you're trying to do. But,
0: well, I mean, fishing is, yeah. yeah so you, why, why do why why <laughs> spend time developing a zero day when you can just social engineer somebody? Um, but it, I think it's interesting your point earlier about the fact that like the cost benefit analysis of it. Um, I think the fact that <laughs> it's it's a weird it's a weird circle that these things go through. But the fact that there is no publicly available poc That's code, what, yeah. adds to the. Reasoning why somebody would not want to patch it at this time.
2: There might be less of an immediacy. Right. Right. Which is bizarre to me,
0: but I I understand it. It's this weird feedback loop. It is. is, Yeah. It's very strange because, I mean, I, I get the fact that there is not a publicly, you know, accessible code. Nobody's released anything like that. But I would think that you'd want to get ahead of the curve, but maybe it's just not cost efficient. I don't know. I've never been in that position to, to make those decisions, so I just don't mm. know. Um, but, yeah, it's just so strange to me.
1: Well, you know, like telecommunications were the uh, were far and above like the uh, kind of business that uh, were mostly affected by this vulnerability. But, you know, second place was schools. And I think in, in environments like that, the person who understands the necessity of migrating and getting rid of this vulnerability is very likely not the person, you know, holding the purse strings. Mm -hmm. And especially with, you know, older, uh, you know, decision makers, it can be really hard to communicate the value of spending a bunch of this money on something that may never happen, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it is necessary. Mm -hmm. So I think partially we might look at what are the categories of, uh, you know, systems and and companies that are, are not patching this.
2: Yeah. And I guess in the minds of people like that, it remains more of a theoretical until a POC is released because with the POC there, you can say like, Hey, look, this exists. We need to fix it. This is what we do. Whereas it might be harder to communicate that sense of urgency without it.
0: Well, and I mean, that's how, that's how it always used to be. Yeah. Right. When you, you would hold the POC back Mm -hmm. or I say always, you know, you'd hold the POC back and then you would, uh, Uh, responsible disclosure to the vendor right and so that they could fix it before you go out publicly release it to tell the masses right um i don't know if it's because they're uh, not stuck but they're they're still thinking in that mindset to where okay there's no poc release so we don't really have to do anything about it
1: um yeah that makes sense yeah
0: i mean i mean maybe it just seems like a backwards way of thinking why like why would you not want to get ahead of it and and sorry go ahead alex
2: just just because the POC hasn't been released doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, of oh, course. Oh, for sure. Right?
0: Yeah. That's the other thing is that, you know, I was reading several different articles about this, but, um, you know, there's, there's this idea that potentially nation states, APT groups, things like that are using this vulnerability. And they'd want to keep it under wraps. And they want to keep it low. They're not yeah. going to be
2: ones to do public disclosures.
0: Yeah. Right. They're definitely not going to do that, but they're also not going to be popping big, yeah. big stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? At least not right now. <clears throat> Um, maybe once the POC goes out and then they can, you know, then they they can distance themselves. Yeah. Um, So yeah. So that was, that's kind of the update from this week on, on blue keep. Um, Oh, one other thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, We've always heard this classic argument that patching is difficult and I have no doubt that that is true. Um, Why have we not found a solid solution to that? Why is it so difficult? Is it, is it, is it cost?
1: Why is it difficult to patch?
0: Yeah. I I understand the downtime bit of it. Right. But if, if that's the only aspect of it, why could you not have a hot backup that is ready to go in this instance? Because we've seen time and time and time and time again, when patches come out, they're for big vulnerabilities and people don't patch their stuff. And then they get popped by this big vulnerability. So why can we not find some way to close this loop?
2: So for me, I think that things like security culture are probably a big thing, a big reason as to why. If you look at a lot of, like like what Travis mentioned, is a lot of these uh, vulnerable organizations are in places where it might be more difficult to get the necessary funding mm. uh, to fix some of these vulnerabilities and mm. to migrate their servers, um, especially because a lot of countries that still rely on things like Windows Server 2007 2008 or other end-of-life software they might not necessarily have the means or they're relatively security immature And so it just might not be as kind of second nature as it is to us us, or to people in the industry
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a fair point Yeah,
1: something that might seem super obvious and grave to you or me might maybe not seem that way to. Yeah, we're in our little bubble. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean it and that that obviously cost always comes into mm-hmm. it at that point. And I think that's why when you see something that's that's affecting like a vulnerability like Blue Keep that is affecting older, you know, operating systems. I think it's easy for us, you know, within the industry to say, oh, well, you should just update to Windows 10. It's not always that easy. It's definitely not always that easy, um, especially when you have systems that, you know, are even operating... Like, let's just say Windows Server 2003. If you're still operating back on old, old software like that, that's past that. their prime, yeah. I mean, if you haven't upgraded since then, then then yeah. I mean, there's there's other things that you could be doing, and I should so just remain vulnerable to this for now. Um, but, yeah, so that's the update for this week. Not to be too grim about it, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to the last story that we're going to discuss this week. The Facebook Libra cryptocurrency stuff update, what have you. Uh, from this week, there was some big stuff happening. Alex, tell the listeners what Facebook Libra cryptocurrency is.
2: So we're now, I think, almost exactly a month from the initial announcement of Libra, which is Facebook's new uh, new project, their cryptocurrency, and the associated wallet, which is called Calibra. So we've had a couple of weeks to kind of mull it over, and there have been a lot of discussions about the ramifications of it. So different countries... There's been massive discussions yeah, about I, it. Yeah, T- to, put it, to put it lightly um people are you know of course they're concerned about uh privacy they're concerned about data handling um of course facebook hasn't exactly had the best track record over the past couple of months yeah. and the past okay. year the past couple of years so there are some genuine concerns to be had and i think that uh, some so for example india has said that essentially libra is not welcome
0: mm-hmm.
2: within the country within
0: the country yeah can't 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 operate you can't basically can't buy it can't sell it can't trade
2: it which is an interesting concept when you're thinking about cryptocurrency which is a Supposed lot of them borderless borderless decentralized which of course facebook's libra isn't necessarily as decentralized as some other cryptocurrencies like some, Bitcoin. some
0: may argue that it is not
1: decentralized well, th- at all and they're saying that it's gonna be but for the first like little bit mm-hmm. uh they're saying that it has to go through their libra association mm-hmm. which would make it not very decentralized mm-hmm. at all yeah
0: so, you, the reason that you're the expert on this is because you have written a blog uh, for Digital Shadows, which we talked about on other podcasts already. Yeah, a very but
1: successful blog. Yeah,
0: I just want to plug it. Uh, but it's all about um, typo squatting and potentially phishing campaigns associated scam with... Scam campaigns and scam such campaigns. that
2: that essentially just erupted overnight uh, as soon as... Once it got announced. Once it got announced, there was this massive gold rush of people looking to jump on these domains and possibly conduct scam operations using the Libra and Calibra names. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was pretty fascinating just based on the speed of how those came about.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I remember you showed me uh, one of them uh, right when you were thinking about the blog. And uh, it was just a perfect... Typo squat domain, you know, total clone of, of the Libra website. And that was like what, the day after, a couple of days after it got announced?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then you were also on uh, the Cyberwire this week yes, I discussing was. it. Um, so we will definitely link to that within the show notes. This week, Facebook's head of cryptocurrency, David Marcus, sat in front of U.S. lawmakers in the House and the Senate uh, to talk about the company's plans for Libra, and it was not so good of a time for him. He got pretty (laughs) grilled. Um, It's interesting to see their discussions and to see them basically rail against this guy. Um, what do y'all think about this? Basically, I mean, as you say about the India stuff, right? There's, there's some legit privacy concerns there uh, with how this company... It, it It's not like we're trying to harp against Facebook. It's just how any company handles private uh, private data, right? And the track record is such that with this specific company, it's not great. So there's obviously some questions about it. So what do y'all think about it?
1: Well, it almost seems kind of like uh, you know, in addition to all the concerns that uh, people appear to have about Libra, I, I, would, I would guess that part of the reason they're hammering, you know, like David so hard is probably because of, uh, you know, Facebook's behavior in the last few years. Okay. I, could, I could see that that's not really created a warm atmosphere between uh, Congress and, uh, you know, the Facebook exec team.
2: Yeah. It seems like Facebook is, tr- like, they haven't had the best track record but it seems like they're taking the necessary steps to kind of prove themselves above and beyond what they've been involved in. Like they could, can you imagine how it would have been if they had named it Facebook coin? Right. (laughs) They're essentially setting it up like to be distinct from Facebook. They, I mean, yeah,
0: they did. They, they, they it's it's essentially a separate entity. The Libra organization is supposedly a nonprofit. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, It is like a way to monetize their data or their platform that like their huge global platform already, essentially. But some of the steps they're taking, right, if you look at it superficially, right, you have the Libra Foundation, which is a gathering of various organizations and different entities. You have like MasterCard, what PayPal. PayPal. Mm -hmm. So it does add a sense of legitimacy to it and it... Is, a lot of financial players in there right it, it is in this vein to kind of appear more decentralized but i fear by doing so you're making it seem more centralized in a way because that's it, it kind of goes against yeah what some other cryptocurrencies have been doing right they're not backed by these giant companies in the way that libra is
0: so a lot of people uh would contend that libra isn't actually considered in the in the you know quote-unquote classic definition of a cryptocurrency. In mean, a lot of ways, it isn't. A lot of ways, it isn't. I mean, cryptocurrencies typically are supposed to be decentralized. Supposed more to or be less
2: anonymous when compared to other more types. More or less,
0: of- yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where all this kind of goes. Um, I think this this specific discussion, the reason that I wanted to talk about it this week was that it was also another privacy-centered discussion. It was another high-level uh, in front of U.S. lawmakers, in front of the House, in front of the Senate, um, discussing privacy matters about
2: the country. Bringing it into the mainstream. Which is good. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good into thing. Into the public record. Yeah. On I think the big I, stage.
0: I think that is a good thing. And I think that if, if something like this had come out, um, been announced seven, you know, eight years ago, I don't think that they would be talking about it in front of Congress. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they would, number one, they wouldn't know what it is. <laughs> True. Um, just, just for all you time travelers for, out there for the simple I mean, fact that you know cryptocurrency has only just recently become such a big deal um, but I think that it is a good thing that we're that they're talking about it in front of Congress or talking I mean it's on c-span it's on it's, like you say it's in the public record like that's a good thing I think it is a good thing I think it seems like people are really starting to become more aware
2: more security conscious more security which is of course a a good thing right if that's what it takes to get people to be more you know cognizant of the things that they do online then of course yeah
0: go for it yeah and i think you know it it, it makes like you say it makes people become more aware like oh maybe i shouldn't post this photo uh to to face app we'll say maybe i shouldn't use this currency that's not that i don't really understand you know like maybe i don't want to upload photos to social media that have geotags on them you know like i don't want to tell people where i am
1: i'm just excited for the day where uh actually that sounds bad to say excited but i'm i'm really going to be curious uh if the day will ever come where you know a city gets hit with ransomware and the attackers demand you know facebook coin libra coin
0: (laughs) what they would do about that yeah
1: and just look look bad i guess i don't know
0: it's i mean it it is that's actually an interesting point i mean like you look 10 years from now if facebook coin facebook coin (laughs) because
1: that's what that's what it is you know it's it's libra coin but that's that's the connotation when i think of when i think of libra coin mark zuckerberg's you know face pops in my head so
2: I mean, it's interesting if you look at the history of Bitcoin right now that it's so much in the mainstream, it's not quite it doesn't quite have the same negative connotation as it did maybe two, three years ago where it was almost strictly associated with uh, criminality right it was mainly in the mainstream mainstream, right it was mainly being portrayed as this thing that people use for money laundering or to buy drugs on the dark web whereas now ever since the big uh, cryptocurrency boom back in 2017 it's trying to legitimize it exactly everyone wants to be a part of it it's Mm. it's suddenly become it's gone from this thing that people think is only used for for malicious purposes to this thing that people are starting to think about okay what are the actual practical applications of it
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah, because cause now they have say you bought five Bitcoin back in the day for five dollars. Yeah. And now it, now it's worth twenty thousand yeah. dollars per per coin. It's like oh okay. well, let, how how can we really use this? Yeah. 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 Um, so so I'm
2: wondering if sure Libra has all these or there are these discussions about maybe the bad things of it, but there could also be these good things maybe that we're not talking about. Mm. So do we think that services
0: should take into account? The privacy of their users, right? I think that's a fair statement that we can all agree with. Yes, sure. they should. Yes. Obviously. Um, but should a person's privacy then be in their own hands? So like when I upload my photo to FaceApp I by by doing that, I agree to their terms and conditions, even though I haven't read them. So at that case, you know, in a legal point of view, it's like, well, you can't really get mad at FaceApp because you agreed to it. This, they told you straight up that this is what we're going to do with your photo, um, ahead of time. If you didn't read it, that's your fault. Is that how it should be or should it be looked at higher up than that? Should it be regulated? Should it be, you know, should there be laws or whatever in place to make T's and C's easier to read or something like that? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I mean, realistically, it's an age old thing. Like who's going to sit through and read 50 pages worth of an, of legal ease. Exactly. No one wants to do that. And I think that what the EU has been doing recently is making it more focused towards opting in to something rather mm-hmm. than having to opt out. So I think that if you make things easier for people to do, to have their data in their own hands, to be in better control of it, then I think more people would be cognizant of the ramifications of it, right? If it's so difficult, a lot of people will maybe just write it off and they'll be like, oh, well, there's not really much I could do about it. But maybe the maybe the answer is to really make things super, super easy to understand by everyone, not just, yeah. yeah.
1: Make make data privacy laws that include, uh, you know, this has to be explained in an easy-to-digest mm-hmm. format with uh, easy user controls to, you know, yay or nay any of these You shouldn't uh, have controls. to jump through a bunch of loops. Right. Loops. Yeah. yeah. Loops, brother. Loops, brother.
0: Um, okay, one other thing that I wanted to mention since we were talking about Facebook. Um, these hearings came after the... Federal Trade Commission issued a $5 billion fine uh, to Facebook after the Cambridge Analytica stuff that happened
1: last year? A couple of years ago. 2017, was it? Well, you say billion like it's a. You said billion, but you know, it's a face. Lo- that's a lot of money. Fa- that's, to you. That's Facebook's Friday, you know?
0: Well, okay, but to be fair, I, I agree. They make a lot of money, okay? But the previous biggest fine that the FTC issued out was to Google, I think this was a few years ago, and it was for 22 and a half million. So you jump from 22 and a half million to five billion? That's big, that's a lot. So, so why do we think that it is such a big jump from 22 and a half to five billion?
1: I think it's uh, probably for the same reason that those GDPR fines you're seeing are starting to ramp up. Is It's trying to, you know, lawmakers are finally starting to get maybe that uh, some of this stuff is really important and they're starting to play hardball. Although, you know, again, $5 billion is an insane amount of money. That's, it's that's, not.
0: That's a really hardball.
1: It's not a lot for Facebook, though. So that's, I think, also. I,
0: see, I, I think it's still a lot.
1: Yeah. $5 still a lot. It's It's hard to wrap my head around that. Much kind of, money, yeah. so yeah. I ju- I think I think probably the thing is though is that Facebook views this as just the cost of business. You know, mm-hmm. it's probably was worth it to them to you know do it the way they did it if if all all the only thing they really lost financially was a 5 billion dollar fine and all this now all this trouble they're having with Libra.
0: So apparently they did set aside <laughs> it's weird to say this. They set aside 3 billion dollars for for the fine for this. Rainy day fund. Yeah. I mean basically I was reading a couple different articles that were like, yeah, they set aside uh 3 billion they thought it might be between 3 and 5 billion.
1: I did the same thing with like, you know, video games coming out, so I totally <laughs> get that.
0: Oh, new uh new Dark Souls coming out. I just want to set aside a couple billy.
1: Yeah a cool, couple cool bills. a couple cool
0: bills all right well were we, should we wrap up with a question let's wrap up with the yeah, question of the week real quick if you had one option to take to space
1: yeah so if you get sent to mars you now live on mars uh everything else is provided to you uh you know food lodgings uh Clothing, oh, so we've course. like colonized Mars. Yeah, you're living on Mars, oh, okay. but you have no choice in the matter. Uh, oh.
0: <laughs> you're being kidnapped to Mars. Yeah,
1: and you get uh, government gives you a waiver. Uh, you get one item you get to bring with you of any size it can be anything, uh, but only one of them. What would you bring with you?
0: So this is like a personal item. Yes.
1: Like like forget about like clothes and stuff. Like that's all going to be taken. care Yeah, out. yeah. This is like you know you could bring your action figure, your uh, you know Legos.
2: I'd want to bring a friend. I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be the only person
1: up <laughs> well, there. Can well, you imagine? If, if, we've colonized,
0: <laughs> if, if, we, if we've colonized Mars, I would assume that you're not going to be the only one up there.
1: No, you'll have friends. There'll be people. Well, like that.
2: I choose to bring my significant other then.
0: No, Ashley has to stay home.
2: Dang. Zuko. Sorry, I'm taking Zuko.
1: <laughs> the Shiba Inu of Mars. Oh, the
0: Shiba. Um, oh, man, what would I take? I don't even know. I, like I feel so we would have electricity
1: yeah no you your life in fact they probably you know they probably have a library up there they probably have a movie theater they have all that oh, right stuff clothes. fully functioning you know anything you really need like supply wise is sent by a rail gun from you know the moon ooh all good Sounds but cool. yeah so why would you need something else well yeah what's something what's something you want to bring with you like probably
2: a take something that's sentimental, sentimental. like a, a photo of a loved one or someone like a yeah. family member that passed away
1: or there might be like regulations that you know, you can't bring, like, trees to Mars or something, but with your little waiver, you can bring one Destroys item. It could be anything, even something like that. So yeah. what is the Zuko? An open copy uh, of the B movie. An <laughs> apex predator, Zuko. Yeah. You just release him on Mars mm-hmm. to terrorize all the Martians. Yeah. I think, um, honestly, like, if they have a movie theater, they probably have a PS4, so I'll be able to play Cyberpunk when it comes out. Um, Ooh, so if I had to bring something sentimental... Uh, I think uh, I would take nothing with me. I would go as a uh, – with, with no attachments. Oh, my. Yeah, I would go a free man. So you're
0: no longer one – Bound by Earth. An Earthian. Yeah. Terran, as they mm-hmm.
1: say. Yep. I'm, I'm destined for the stars. We
0: are so nerdy right now. <laughs> uh, so I think that I would take a – would I have – let me just clarify one more question. Would I have a freezer – like on board the ship. Yes.
1: Yeah. You. You can. You can like if you bring like a popsicle.
0: Yeah. Well, it's gonna be Blue Bell ice cream because Blue Bell is amazing.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're not getting that on Mars normally. You're not
0: getting that on Mars. Sure. So I'm gonna bring at least three half gallons. Okay. Uh, one is going to be cookies and cream because okay. obviously. Uh one is going to be homemade vanilla. Is this just
1: what's in Harrison's freezer
0: right now? Oh I wish. Oh god, I wish. Um and so those are the first two. And then a third one. Ooh. I think I'm gonna go with strawberry. Good choice. So so good. So good.
1: Yeah.
2: Just don't lick the top and put it back in the freezer. Yeah. Why not? Yeah.
0: It's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. <laughs> <laughs> alright well that will do it for us for this week Uh, thank you Travis thank you Alex Uh, thank you listeners talk to y'all next week